All right, going to start the show now. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 33. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And we're douches. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> this week, we're going to be interviewing Ted Simon, author of Jupiter's Travels. He rode around the world on a triumph. Took him three years? Many. Many years. Many. It, it can't well, be said that he was going in a perfectly direct route. Right. And he's done it several times. He's, he's done, yeah, like he's a, done a, a reunion tour. <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk with him in a little bit about the tour, what he's mm-hmm. got going on, and other cool stuff, I guess. Yeah. First of all, however... We're going to talk about bigger douches than us. Bigger douches than us. We've got a bunch of great ads. What's here. up first? So first off, there's there's kind of two I want to do in line. Both of these people have um, touch-and-go relationships with the English language. But our first one is sent in by listener Randall. Is Honda Crotch Rocket in some what? place, which I assume is in Hawaii. 89 Honda Crotch Rocket, 250cc. Great shape, runs great, looks good. Bike not in perfect shape, but pretty sharp. Serious buyers only to respond. Bike has loads of power. Make the perfect first bike, or really for anyone. I'm 275 pounds and hold me around with loads of power to spare. Hey. You know? Okay. Some new parts getting carburetor set as we speak. Serious inquiries only. Numbers take valid good offer. I figure the bike, once we're back in season, will be worth $1,400. And if you get a street bike cheaper, by all means do it. But I don't think you'll find too many. This spring cheaper than what you can get this one for. Okay. So dodgy relationship with the English language, right? Sure. I want to read you another one now that has a dodgy relationship with the English language. And let's let's contrast. Let me take a deep breath. There's no punctuation. The bike has everything there is you can put on one full race. I'm selling it because I'm psych of my old lady's mouth about the bike and because I rode about 14 times this year. So if you don't have an old lady that will get, give you hell about it, I have a very nice fast bike, tons of receipts. You can't buy them like this. Call la 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 la. The bike is a BBR 150 kit aftermarket red box coil BBR exhaust light and flywheel 32 ounces lighter than factory pro wheels front and back 80 pro suspension front and rear polished aluminum swing arm new tire still has the nipples so much more you can't come close to building it for this price believe or not it takes twice that much this bike is a proven more on the track i'll stick to a 250 back fender and i'll come around and i can prove it <laughs> i am impressed <laughs> give a big hand of applause folks that hurts <laughs> wow that was awesome and, so, and I'm not making up that there's no punctuation. Not a single <laughs> punctuation has never been seen here. Okay, but here's the thing. So both of them have kind of dodgy relationships with the English language. Sure. But look at the two ads, okay? Mm-hmm. Honda Crotch Rocket, dodgy relationship with the English language, but he talks about the bike. He says, here's what the bike is, and here's what it does, and here's what you might do with it, and here's you know some things about it that are good to kind of get you interested. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where a call. Here's the basic here's proposition. Decent pictures of buy, what it looks like. Buy my like. bike, and here's some pictures of the bike. And I'm a big guy. I'm a big guy, so it fits big guys. Okay, great. Punch you in the face real hard. I don't think that's in there. Oh, okay. But then the TTR, which might be a cool bike. I mean, it's a lot more expensive, but there's no picture. It is... there's the reason he's selling it. He's giving he, – most of what he's talking about is him and the bike. Like, nobody cares, dude. No one cares why you're me, selling me, it. Me, 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 Oh, and the bike has some crap on it. <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so you don't necessarily have to be a Rhodes Scholar to make an ad which will sell a bike, but you do have to talk about the goddamn bike and yep. tell us why it's cool. Yep. Convince us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought those two ads were an interesting contrast. Uh, let's see. Where is he listing the price on the Honda? Uh, it's in there somewhere. It's his fourteen hundred bucks in there somewhere. Well, he's saying it, he, it will he be worth. figures it will be worth. About okay, so he's looking for offers, and he's giving fourteen hundred as high. So I'm assuming he's figuring like a grand yeah. or something. Huh? An '89 Honda. What is that? I have no idea. I'm assuming it's like a 250 VTR or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, you know a 250. It looks like uh, it looks like the Putnam Kanawa. So I'm assuming that might be like Hawaii or something. In which case, but know. look at the Charleston. Interesting. I know. I don't know. They name them weird out there. It's mysterious. Yeah. But that's, I mean, yeah. You know, his ad is more appealing. It's got pictures and it's pretty much facts. It, it talks about the bike and why you would like the bike. Right. Buy my bike. Right. This guy talks about why he doesn't like his wife. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he's, he's, and he doesn't know. ride. 
and I'm not a writer because I've only written 14 times this year. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then proceeds to challenge them. I, well, you, you're obviously not cool enough to buy – come on, dude. Aftermarket, rug, really? box, coil, BBR, exhaust, lighten, flywheel. Yeah, three nothing chances. about like why mm. these things might be good. So it's, this is a, a small race bike? Is that what yeah, this is? Yeah, it's like a little race bike. Okay. But I'm you – know, Believe. Yeah, believe it. Believe. Believe it all. Believe and I can prove it. Believe. I, I don't get it. Uh-huh. Wait, what is he saying at the end here? This bike it's is wicked. a proven winner on the track. I'll stick to a 250 back fender and I'll come around it and I can prove it. I think he's posturing. I mean, th- frankly, this thing doesn't sound like someone who wants to sell a bike. It sounds okay, like but someone tell who's... me, what does that mean? I'll stick to a 250 bake fender and I'll come around it and I can prove it. I, I think he's saying he can keep up with the 250 in the straights and then pass it in the turn, but I don't know. Oh, I'm keeping. I can keep up with a 250's rear fender. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then okay. come around the bike. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. At least I, if I'm parsing it, but, the, but I guess the key thing here is, and so why should I buy a bike? Right. You know. Well, you're. Uh, oh, yeah. You're. You're. You know. He, he's so he's, he's making an assumption halfway through that we've just told him his bike is a piece of shit. Right. And he can't ride. Because like, who's he's he only, trying to convince here? So if he's only ridden 14 times a year, maybe he's only taken it to the track. Yeah, and maybe it was a GZ250. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One lung desperately trying to push 400 pounds of cruiser. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Todd, yeah. Todd going up the stairs. <laughs> That's not – it's Charles. <laughs> Uh, fat, fat, okay. Fat. Yeah. So that. Yeah. So the, yeah. So if you're going to sell a bike, you don't have to make it pretty, but you do have to tell us about the bike. Well, you're being awfully, goddamn. You're being awfully charitable here. It's Christmas, isn't it, Todd? Yes. You've got it's the Christmas, Christmas spirit. It's don't the Christmas you? spirit. You I, were visited by the ghosts, weren't you? Yes. <laughs> the ghost of selling shit can motorcycle past. <laughs> Remember when you sold the GS? <laughs> the guy who bought it didn't know any better. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> so uh, you see this thing in the news. We got this from uh, the beginner uh, biker site. Mm-hmm. Someone had strung up a wire. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Across the, across the road. And uh-huh. Just about decapitated a biker. Yep. What possesses someone to do that? Get off of my land! <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I didn't it, get the impression it was on no, the I, land. It, it, it seems like once a year, or maybe once a year, once every couple of years, you see this story kind of crop up. Someone gets the bright idea, like, I'll show them! No, take that! Yeah, yeah. Maybe they were sold super sports. <laughs> super sport cafe racer. I don't know. That's such a That's such a cold-blooded thing to do. Yeah, it doesn't even. It's not even like, like I'll get you. I mean, it's not like all of us bikers are in it together. We don't have this weekly meeting where we're like, "All right, so you you did something bad to Doug, okay, okay. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Ralph. All right, good deal. Let's get out there and let's piss everyone off. Go. No, that didn't happen. No, oh, we didn't. What did we do yesterday? Oh, uh, you you were in charge of, of uh, Bob yesterday, <laughs> pissing him off. With he my loud, the, loud pipes. Yeah, Bob drives the Corolla, and I'm in charge of, uh, of uh, the other girl. What's her name? Sue, who drives the uh, minivan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, we're mm-hmm. gonna make their lives a misery. Mm-hmm. Loud pipes, as agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Reckless riding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's us. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's such a, it's such a weird, vile, wily coyote kind of move. Yeah. To I, think, you know, hey, this is a good idea. Yeah, that's the really thing I keep getting to is at what point. Does the brain come around to, this is a great idea. This happened at my work. Really? Yes. Five years ago. This happened at my work. I came to the parking lot, and I could see it was one of those uh, metal cables Uh had been strung between two parking posts across the front, right at neck level. Wow. Do you think they meant to do it at neck level, or it was just like that was level eight? You can't just think of it at neck level by accident. It's a pain in the ass. It's I don't like know. The most awkward height to put anything. Like, try hanging a picture at neck level sometime. Yeah, I mean, I and I was just going slow because I was coming down, you know, a business mm-hmm. park and stuff. So I was yeah. just doing 15, 20. Yeah. So I saw it in plenty of time, but still, someone had stretched out across. Damn. I don't know why, because on a car, it would just kind of float over the hood and then yeah. get caught up in your, your windshield. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, this happened at my work. Damn, man. It's terrifying. 
and it's weird because you know it's like stay out of my parking lot. <laughs> there was no signs, no flies or anything on it. You know, yeah. no streamers. Nothing. But when they do Just, range gates like this out in the middle of nowhere, they'll have you know barbed wire going across that you can't see. Except they'll put little things on it so you can see it. Yeah, the, they don't actually want people to hit it. It's just more of like, hey, there's a gate here. Could you open it and close it, asshole? Right, right, right. Yeah, people do this. I, I don't, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a weird mentality to. You know, you, you grew up watching cartoons like, uh, yeah. but you don't really think what, you know, because look at this new, news story. I mean, those are like scars on their neck. It's, yeah, it's, it's no joke. Yeah. And, you know, we've all taken like a hit in the neck at some point. A it hit hurts like a throat. Bitch. Yeah, that's just, uh, there's people who are crippled because of this. Yeah, I, I, I cannot for the life of me uh, figure out the motivation behind this. But I guess the really important thing is that we give it as a nice sensationalist news story. Yeah. Wires are out there. They're everywhere. <laughs> Motorcycling is dangerous. Dangerous. It's, it's strange. Yeah, you, you see it. You hear about it more happening on, on dirt trails and stuff because people mm-hmm. don't want you going across their land. Or Put up a fucking sign. Yeah. Oh, I know. A fence <laughs> with a lock. <laughs> Gasp. That one idea that beginner biker posters had put was instead of stretch, stretching the line across, mm-hmm. you stretch the line down the trail, and mm-hmm. it gets caught up in your, the axle of a 4x4 four four or something. Ying, 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 shit. Which gets your point across and no one gets hurt. Probably. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I would stick with the uh, big metal gate with the goddamn lock on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how hard is that shit, really? Let's be honest. Uh, apparently... You know, harder than stringing up a fishing wire across two trees. I guess. I, I mean, crap. People think, you know, thinking of... People, people have this weird, like... You know what it is? I think it's the two wrongs make a right thing that people keep getting in their head. Like, someone's making me mad. Someone's inconveniencing me in some silly way, and therefore it's okay for me to do this kind of bullshit. Sure. And you see it coming from motorcyclists, too. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Who's that builder? Billy Lane? Mm-hmm. The one that got the, the DUI. He used to give interviews where he talked about he uh, he welded because he was a bike builder, right? Yeah. He welded a bracket that he had attached a hammer to, mm-hmm. and if someone made him mad on the road, he could pull it off and tonk yeah. the tonk the car, put it down in the car, or you know, yeah. throw ball bearings at a windshield, you know, because that's okay. That's Cause okay. Because you're, you're mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it's uh, effective communication one on one. Yeah. Violence. Hey. <laughs> Something else I want to talk about. Something better than getting clothes better lined. Better than getting clothes lined. <laughs> better is for your throat. Bringing lots of clothes with you. So check this out. I think this is a local builder we found in our local classifieds. Custom motorcycle trailers by Kingdom Trailers. It's in Orem, Utah, so that's uh, quite local to us. Yeah. Each of these trailers is built custom to every customer. Choose the blah 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 blah. Talks about the features of the trailer. But I'm looking at these pictures of this, and this is a pretty well built looking motorcycle trailer. I mean, it's your basic. It's it's a metal box with a lid. Um, it's like a Sherman tank. But, like, fairly good wheels on it and, mm-hmm. you know, little tie-down points and one of those nice latchy things that's mm-hmm. nice and positive. You know when it's closed so you don't get the surprise. And it locks. Yeah. That's pretty cool looking. Pretty swanky looking trailer. I'm, I got to say, I'm I'm intrigued. Did you, you shoot him an email? Not yet, but I think we should. That looks like one of those uh, tappet lights in the lid. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? It's a light inside the lid. Yeah, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, so they seem like they're being built pretty thoughtfully. I went to the guy's site, and it turns out it's this is just one of the trailers they build. They actually build, like, well, the fact that this looks like a tiny taco cart is not an accident, it turns out. This company looks like they they also build taco carts. They build taco carts? Yes. (laughs) So you two can have a tiny taco cart towed behind your bike. That said... It's a pretty nice looking little taco cart. I want cart. a taco cart. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. I want, I want like a little baby taco cart behind my bike. That's cool. So can the Euro for... pull this thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, How the Euro's got you go? normal speed, which is not to say much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, Euro's got loads of torque. It just has zero top end. Okay. Okay. It will get up to whatever speed it's going to go, and there it will stay. High-speed hubs, custom wheel and tire, key lockable, LED lights, custom powder coat, interior carpet kit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty good-looking little trailer. And, you know, the funny thing about these is even a little trailer like this, yeah. if you look at the actual volume of the trailer, there's a fuck ton of space in there. Sure. It's it's like it's like six cubic feet, which sounds really small, except your bike's luggage has realistically about three and a half cubic feet. Yeah, total. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you got another sidecar. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of room. So it's uh, it's kind of neat. That's pretty cool. Are you are – you st- considering this i don't think right now but if i got a fancier rig you know like a bigger rig of some sort the, the Strom rocket three the rocket three yeah <laughs> a trailer like this would be sweet behind that claude he's calling you it's like i said before 
a trailer like this, you can take it to the campsite and lock it to a tree. Yeah. And leave all your shit behind in that. Yeah. And then you can just have yourself and like your hiking gear in the uh-huh. sand car. Uh-huh. This is this is a solid bit of kit. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and they're local, so we'll have to we'll have to look them up. Yeah, maybe we can talk to them, get them on the show, and, mm-hmm. and talk about their uh, their trailer. Yep, and taco carts. And taco I carts. Love tacos. It's making me hungry. Wow, that's pretty cool. Moving on for this week, uh, we've got a really special guest. I mean, like this <laughs> we're is a little a, giddy. This is a pretty. I mean, I okay, we're a lot giddy. So we're going to talk to Ted Simon, author of Jupiter's Travels. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's stop cool. gushing and get to the interview, what yes, they actually okay. came for. Yes. All right. So we're on with Ted Simon, author of Jupiter's Travels and Squeeze! other... <laughs> Chuck's excited. Yep. <laughs> and other awesome motorcycling books. Ted, thanks for being on with us tonight. No, it's a great pleasure. Ted, what's it like being the godfather of adventure motorcycling? <laughs> I try to forget it. It's really, it's really a tedious thing to have to live with, you know. Um, I've spent most of my life trying to avoid being a success at anything, and... <laughs> and, uh, and the very last thing I've ever wanted to do is to be anybody's hero. So, uh, so, so it's quite it's quite difficult. I have to I really have to make an effort to forget about it because otherwise um, you have legions of dentists, lawyers, podiatrists, and <laughs> other adventure motorcycle riders. Just uh, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, they're lining up for autographs at, uh, at you know signing events, right? I mean, you're... well, I suppose that's true. I, I wish they just offered me their services free. That would be <laughs> that, that, that. That would make it all worthwhile. <laughs> I think everybody should have a personal doctor and a personal dentist and a lawyer and you know a little entourage. That would be nice. I could I could manage that. See, he's being practical. That's, there you go. That's yeah. good, right? <laughs> And thus, a crude system of barter was formed. <laughs> so one, one thing I do notice is that – and this is one of the number one things I really like about your books is the vibe of them is very like, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, I don't get this sense of you're trying to be real hardcore. You're not trying to you know take over the world, be the awesomest guy in the world. You're just thrilled to be here. That's absolutely true. I mean, I, it's um – I'm trying to think how to explain how I got to that situation, how to I, how I got into that that mindset. It certainly comes through having lived a fair amount um, of time doing a whole bunch of different things to the point where you begin to appreciate even even before I went on that first motorcycle trip, um, you begin to appreciate that that the world is really there for you. You know that you that you can move around. You're not restricted. You, you you're not stuck with one career, with one one prospect in life, one one woman or one divorce or whatever it is. But but you are actually able to move around and survive and prosper in in many different ways. And so after a while, the idea of having to to become something special doesn't seem very important anymore. The important thing is uh, is, is just to make the most of being here, to really enjoy being alive. And uh, and that feeling has simply grown on me ever since. Uh, so we're, talk- we're talking 40 or more years now, uh, during which I've... Um, I've really resisted almost, you know, any attempt to put me into some kind of a pigeonhole or category or, or, or to put me on a plinth. <laughs> that would be like the worst thing. I wouldn't mind a statue now. You know. <laughs> At the age of 80, it doesn't seem too too bad. I, I've, I've been doing some writing about the UK for a new book and a couple of places that I've, I've been there were, there were statues to people that they themselves commissioned and had raised you know and it's all, <laughs> I, I didn't realize people did that you know just that he said well now, now I'd like you to put up a statue for me here you know my, my idea was that statues were put up after people died to commemorate them but sure mm-hmm. apparently you can apparently you can just arrange to have one put up anyway you missed you missed the whole point, man. You could you could have had like ten statues by now. Dictators do it. You know, <laughs> BMW's about built the whole business upon you, so <laughs> they they should at least put one in front of the corporate headquarters there. <laughs> yeah, but his suit doesn't match his bike. Wait, no, is that true? Does your riding suit not match your bike? My riding suit. <laughs> Poor Gazi's breaking down in tears. <laughs> well, no, no, I, 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 I wear an, I, I do wear Aerostitch um, at times. Still crying. <laughs> not, not all the time, because I really like Andy Goldfine, and and as far as I can tell, he likes me, and so 
he asked me if I'd like one, and I said, yeah, it sounds sounds nice. Yeah, it's it's a good suit. It's it's not the most flattering suit, um, especially to blokes like me that have no shoulders. If, you, if you've got no shoulders, it's a you know you you need a, a different kind of suit to make you look like anything, and um, most most of them don't work. But, uh, but it's a, you know from a practical point of view, it's very good, so I'm, I'm happy to have it. But most of, you know most of the time, I I'd much rather drive around in a just a jacket and pants. I mean, I, I I don't do the sort of stuff that's dangerous, you know. <laughs> so I mean, I don't really I don't really think I need all those all the pads and things that people have. Well, well, except you, on the shoulders, of course. Yeah, you know, to make you know, make your shoulders. Yes, I am up. huge. <laughs> Thank yes, you for asking. Yeah, Some shoulder pads. Nice. If somebody would design me, I, I'd really like. I'd like to look like Perry. You know, Which, the Republican candidate. Oh, <laughs> Rick Perry. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, with with his yeah. jacket. Yeah, I'd like shoulders like his. Those are the only things that I really admire about him. <laughs> his shoulders. He's, he's wide across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. manly. <laughs> Americanly, yeah, ma- ma- very manly. Yes. Yeah. Well, what are you writing these days? Uh, well, I'm, I'm on a V-strum at the moment. Oh God! Nice. <laughs> oh Lord! World's domination continues. A V-strum, huh? Oh, oh yeah, that is marvelous motorcycle. Yes, marvelous. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Todd Todd rides a V-strum too. He. I, I was converted to it um, when when I I was asked to go and ride a ride around New Zealand for a couple of weeks. Hmm. So a, a dreary duty that people have to accept. Well, <laughs> things things are tough all over. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> and I, but I thought that at least they would give me a, a BMW to do it on, and and they, and they said no, you can't have a BMW because the, the people who pay get first dibs. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, so we've only got we've only got this Suzuki. You have to ride a Suzuki. See, that's when you play um, the card. Don't you I know who I am? Yeah, I Really uh, annoying. I'm Ted so, Simon. And then I got uh, I I got to love it. I thought it was a fantastic bike. So when, when I came back here, I found an old one and bought it. You know, Triumph has a new adventure bike out. <laughs> they do, yes. You I, come back I, I to was, the fold. I was at a, 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 a press thing that they did in, yeah. in London, mm-hmm. uh, in Heathrow, and uh, and they had it there. You can come back to the fold, Ted. Come back to the, the to the mother <laughs> company. It's really Jack funny that, that my, my relationships with, with Triumph have been, uh, I've been very dodgy. Kind of, <laughs> really? Since the end of Meriton. <laughs> but but they, seem to, they seem to have found, out, they found me. You know, I've been here all along, but for a long time they didn't know, know who I was at all. Huh. Um, Meanwhile, the first place a lot of people have heard about a tiger is probably in your book. <laughs> it's possible, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, the thing is, they um, they they bought the name, the, the Triumph name, but at the same time, they were really scared of being associated with it. Which puts, I mean, now that's almost psychopathic, isn't it? You know. It's, 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 <laughs> well, we don't want people to think we're a Triumph. But don't use that name. Very very odd because they were really afraid people would assume that that they would get a produced motorcycles that didn't go anywhere. Um, and, and, there, and there's another weird thing because actually the Triumph that I rode was a really great bike and it went all the way around the world and only once did it actually stop and that was mainly because because I was no good at, at mechanics really I mean well I wasn't I wasn't bad I, I did I did this I had to do this thing in, in Alexandria um, I had to replace the piston and and make the other make the the second one work, and I think I did a really good job for for a total amateur. And the bike survives on that really horrific piece of surgery that I did on it. It, it survived all the way through Africa, and it only really stopped just short of Johannesburg. Um, so so the bike itself, you, you can't fault the bike. The bike was bloody marvelous. You have a kindred spirit here, Chuck. That's yeah. That's why I say about the Buell. It's not the Buell's fault. It's the monkey that's wrenching on it. <laughs> the thing is that, that by the, that when when I'd gone halfway around and I got to L.A. and you know Triumph was still struggling to stay alive and they were they were mixed up with with Norton and so on. And the people there 
were uh, telling me that that I shouldn't, one shouldn't really expect a triumph to go more than ten thousand miles. And this was the this was the common American appreciation of of, of a triumph was, was, was that it, it um, sucks. It, so. You know, it, you you wrote, you wrote it and then it died, <laughs> and and I was appalled by this, but I didn't really understand what I I didn't I didn't know enough to be able to contradict them, and it was only when I got through to the end of the trip and learned a little more about motorcycles that I discovered that the only reason that this bike was having all this all this, all this trouble was because it didn't have an air filter worth worth talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and that was the only thing. I mean, they'll go, they'll go forever if uh, if they give them a bit of care and attention. Wait, uh, wait a second. You're, you're saying you you couldn't really talk back to these folks, even though the sentence out of your mouth is, "Yeah, I just came from Alexandria." Well, well that's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been halfway around the world on it. Where'd you were, come from, the Starbucks? <laughs> but they, but they were sort of saying, "Oh well, yes, it's amazing. It's a miracle." Really. Because you know, we to expect that. And, yes, and, as you've uh, gone around the world, very nice, good show. And chat. I had had to, I had had to change several. I've had two rebores and a new barrel, you know, along the way. Uh, and, and this was all because, all because nobody at, at, at Triumph had ever see, ever seemed to have heard of a, a of a decent air filter, and, <laughs> and they were around. There's oil. What are they? The K K K and G G and K. Sorry, I forget mm-hmm. their names. Yeah filter that uses oil, right? I mean, it's, I think it's standard. Yeah, so everyone that, uses At that stuff time, like all that, we had yeah. was a piece of paper. There was a piece of paper in a perforated box, and that's basically <laughs> what was there. It was a standard air filter on the tribe. It was, not, it was ridiculous. Top of the line British engineering. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, that, this, is, this is a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, that really is the weird thing about British engineering is that in, in most respects, it was brilliant, but, but they never they never connected the dots. They never sort of got the stuff to really work together. I mean, like Lucas, for example. Everybody stops because of darkness and all that. Um, the, the individual bits that they make were actually very good. Um, the, the, all the problems I ever had with, with Lucas, not all, but most of the problems I ever had with Lucas were were, were the, the interface parts, the, bit, the bits that connected their stuff to the... To the motorcycle, um, it was it was always electrical connections that were going bust and stuff like that. There's some sort of really, really deep really... metaphor here. <laughs> the Japanese, of course, knew all about that. They they got all that right. So tell us a little bit about the uh, this Ted Simon Foundation you've got going on. It's kind of a different take on the hey, let's ride around the world than your average. Let's ride around the world and be awesome. Yeah, well, well, I suppose I'm a bit vulnerable there because it is almost it is a bit like having a statue, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, just because it's called the Ted Simon Foundation, yeah, the like, Ted you know. Simon Foundation. <laughs> TM. <laughs> I, I, I had to agree because I had to admit that that probably it would be that would be more recognizable to people than than any other name that there, there was around. The Hey, Let's it Go Travel that, it, Foundation. It wasn't me. I, it, it, honest, 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 it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get up one morning and said, I, I think I should have a foundation. <laughs> you're you're uh, kind of protesting yeah, a little strongly I, I there, Ted. I've got at least uh, $37 in the bank account. I could, you know, who shall I give it to you? Uh, <laughs> I need I, a I always, statue. I, and that's what, that, my idea of that foundation was that they were just, you know, ways for people to give away money. But it turns <laughs> out that there are other ways to have a foundation. And and these blokes who are now my very good friends came and said, you know, it would be a shame to waste all this um, all this name recognition, you know, on a, a, a on a bunch of people who don't really know what they're doing. So so why don't we tell them what to do? We'll have a foundation and we'll tell them that what they've got to do is go out there and write a decent book. And, Sounds fair. <laughs> Uh, I'm still and, working on and, that. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, it d- does make a bit of sense. You know, I mean, all these, all these people are, are bumming around the world now. Uh, to some extent, it's my fault that they're doing it. But, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, that statue and will have a lot of stuff stuck to it. All these blogs, but their blogs are all about um, what they had for dinner and, and how they fell over and hit themselves <laughs> on the heads. 
Guilty. And, uh, <laughs> and you know how their suits failed, or so. you know, it's, it's all personal stuff. And some I, of it's funny, and some and most of it isn't. But, but it doesn't really add anything to the sum total of our knowledge of the world. Really, that's that's that was my point. Really. And I thought you know, if we could if we could uh, have a foundation that actually promoted and prompted and rewarded people for for putting a bit more effort into their into their recollections of what of what happened, and and actually get their eyes up off the cooking pot and and look around a bit and and see if they could find out. A bit more about what's going on in, the, in all these countries that they're going through. We, we might all benefit from, you know, from having a better knowledge of the world. So you're wanting to push people to be less egocentric yeah, and, well, and try to, to immerse themselves. You know, you know, I think a lot of people, it, it is a very exciting thing to go out in the world. And one of the big differences between me and most of the people who do it is that by the time I did it, I was, I was a bit older. And I was also... Um, a writer, and uh, and I, and so I knew that I had to have a lot of stuff that wasn't about me, uh, in order to produce a good book. And Coming soon to the BBC, the TED Show. Just don't think people generally understand that. You know, they they think um, they think that they go out there and they just they, their main interest is in what's happening to them. Right. Um, and uh, and they're not thinking about what they might want to do when they get back, about what they might want to produce, or, you know, how good. they're actually gathering up the kind of information that would really be helpful to others. Because they're on adventure. Yes, well, they're on their own private <laughs> kick. You know. Right. And they're leaving out the so what. Right. Hey, uh, if we can go back, you were saying you were, you were at a later point in your life when you did this round-the-world trip. Where were you really in life, in, in, your, in your head at that time? I mean, what, oh, what, yeah. got, well, what, what kicked that switch over? That is a good question, because, because I'd, I'd, I'd really moved 90 degrees um, in my life before I even thought of going around the world on a bike. I mean, I, you know, 180 degrees, which is actually, because... The first 90 degree turn was when I was when I stopped being um, a chemical a chemical engineer in putative one. I never I never actually got to the point of doing it and got into got into newspapers and that you know that was a major shift actually for me and uh, mm-hmm. so I got into into Fleet Street which probably doesn't mean much to most of the people listening to this but in the 50s and the 60s. Fleet Street was as recognizable a term as Wall Street is, for example. You know, if you want to be a banker, if you're a banker, you, you want to be in, on Wall Street, right? If you were in newspapers, you wanted to be on Fleet Street. Fleet Street's a, a, a street in London where most of the big newspapers had their offices. And in those days, newspapers really were big. I mean, there wasn't anything else. TV was virtually, I mean, it was just a joke at the time. Um, Still is. Newspapers were enormous, and so it was a major. It was a major career thing to be to be in newspapers and to be on Fleet Street was a huge thing. And I was there for for ten years before I realised that that newspapers were not be all and end all of the world, and that they were sort of beginning to lose their grip anyway because mm-hmm. TV was coming up. And uh, and and it all it all began to seem rather shabby. And there was some there was, some, there was something in me that didn't really accept it anyway as a, as a way that it wasn't enough. I will t- tell you what happened. I mean, am I am I going on too long? About no, no, no. It's actually really uh, this is this, fascinating. Th- this is right. well, mirrors. I, mean, I think what? a lot of people who are in their they're really they're in the career and they've been in the career for a while and you're like career yeah. career and you realize at some point it's like this is kind of dumb what I'm doing yeah and you're almost forty well exactly exactly yeah. I'm or well, it's not getting me where I want to go I, you know it's not fulfilling me I and mean, it's not it doesn't uh, answer to the questions that that I'm asking about life so uh, so what happened was that um, after a few sort of zigzags I. Kind of said sod it, <laughs> and, uh, and, I sold, and I sold my house. I sold everything, and I got I got an old. I didn't have any money really. I had um, an old Ford Cortina. I went to Spain. I went to the bullfight in Pamplona, the one the ones where they run, you know. In front mm-hmm. of yeah. And I did that, and I escaped with a torn jacket, which is 
really well. Uh, it's pretty good by the normal standards, I gather. <laughs> I, was lucky. I was lucky. A cow got me, but, but she only managed to rip the jacket. You know, the cows are the more dangerous. The, the bulls are following the cows. That's, that's, that's what's actually happening. And the cows, huh. oh. the cows are ahead, and, and they're actually more vicious than the bulls. Anyway, anyway, I, I managed to scramble up over a barricade, and I thought, well, that's a, that, you know, that's a good portent. That obviously luck is on my side. And from that moment on, I just did whatever came along. And for the first time in my life, and you know, talking to all those people you were talking about just now, who were stuck in their careers and so on, you know, I I had abandoned my career, so so I. I didn't have to be back at the office. I didn't. I, there was no time constraint. All I had to do was, you know, just to. I had enough money to keep going. That was all. And I just kept going. And I just did whatever came along. And it was the most remarkable experience. I mean, it really led me into the most, you know, really extraordinary things. I was on um, on, on a yacht on the Mediterranean. I spent time on a nudist island in the, in, in, in Ibiza. Ended up in Montenegro, in Hungary. Uh, and, and at the end of this, this trip, when I was pretty much out of time, out of resources, a friend that I that I met along the way showed me a ruin in the south of France, and uh, and I just got totally overwhelmed by it, and and decided that what I wanted to do was to live in this ruin and live in the south of France, and I realised that that was a kind of spiritual home for me, if you like, the Mediterranean. I don't know why. So I I was able to buy it for a thousand dollars, and it was in a fabulous. <laughs> A totally neglected village. This is where the statue <laughs> thing starts. <laughs> and then now it would cost you half a million bucks, but which I don't, by the way, don't have. <laughs> so I went and lived in this ruin, and I, all I needed really was wine and cheese and enough wood and lime and cement to start putting this thing together. You know, I did do some some jobs along the way just to buy more cement, more lime, and so on. He but sounds I, like Tyler I, I realized that Club. this was very important to be engaged in a physical activity and not just a mental one. Uh, and that the stuff that I was trying to write was much better because um, because I had this root, this foothold in reality, if you like, in stone. Sure. I was dealing in stone and I was dealing in, in heavy materials and actually working. And being there a few years is what led me to the point where I felt like going around the world on a motorcycle. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what got me there. So if you want to go around the world on a motorcycle, live in a ruin. And well, yes. Restore yes. it to yes, at some yes, degree. Yes, no, I mean, it, it sounds like a joke, I know, but, but actually... Did you start an underground fight club? Uh. <laughs> you got you got to free yourself somehow. You know, you have to free yourself from all these these social expectations that people have. Uh, and almost everybody that I know, that I really respect, who has had to go through some some uh, an experience something like that. You know, they they've had to rip up a lot of roots. And, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and, and there are I mean, there are big issues involved. You know, family issues, kids, and sure, all that. Uh, I didn't have any of those, but, you know, it's a major concern. And these, these wonderful handcuffs I have and these shiny gold. I like them. <laughs> They're so shiny. I, oh, that's fake gold. <laughs> They're not gold. That's, that's interesting. It's, it's uh, wow. Wow. The, the story of before the book is almost as good as the book. <laughs> it's got nudity. You, it's need, got... A, you need a pre-book there for before the trip. Well, you can write a lot of books about a life. Yeah, well, mine, so. mine, mine's pretty boring right now. <laughs> Went to work. Got <laughs> it. Yeah. If you explore at least your feelings and your thoughts about it, you probably find there's a lot more going on. There's a lot of fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's lowbrow in Chuck's head. Very lowbrow in my head. <laughs> You're talking traveling with a purpose, talking about a lot of self-discovery. Um I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of in awe. I guess the thing that springs to my my mind is this is this is despite him being the grandfather, yada yada yada, statues, etc. It, it's not at all what the vibe has become. It's it's like you don't get that. That's that's kind. Of, it's almost antithetical to the the I am awesome world that motorcycling has become. Right. The, the scene itself is actually very egocentric. And for example, Ted, I've got this tour tech catalog. What do I need from it so that I can ride around the world? <laughs> don't ask me. I don't want to get in really bad with them. 
coming up. <laughs> it's got nice thick pages that you can use to what? Never mind. <laughs> I know. It's, an, it's an astonishing oh. tome, isn't it? I, I mean, I, it's I, I, I don't know what to say work. about Turtek. I really respect her, but he's a great guy. I know what he's doing, and I'm and I know he means well. Why shouldn't you know? He had the idea, and why shouldn't he succeed? And why shouldn't it be wonderful? Yeah, you know, he's just I mean, he's I trying can, to. I can remember when I finished when when I finished my trip because when I, because when I went off in in 1973, there were there were no accessories at all. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. There were you you could get boots and a, and a bell staff jacket and a and a helmet and gloves. There were some fiberglass panniers you could buy. I mean, that was really it. There, there really wasn't anything. Did you hear that, Todd? Fiberglass panniers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can right. do fiberglass. They were okay. very good. They were made by this really nice old gentleman called Ken Craven, and, and he gave me a pair. Good and, fiberglass and, panniers. It can be done, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> and We've got an ongoing cool. <laughs> and, and later on, he made some bigger ones, but then he died. And he, you know, he's, he's an old man. And, and all the way through, right, right from the moment I conceived of this trip to, to the end of it four years later I you know I'd, I'd had to improvise with whatever stuff I could find I mean there wasn't anything made for people doing what I was doing well because um, yeah, it was crazy <laughs> oh. are you mad <laughs> a triumph will never go that I mean, far I mean well, who's going to manufacture who's going to start a manufacturing line for one for one consumer it's <laughs> <laughs> quite the consumer <laughs> that doesn't make we, a lot of sense We've so, done some market uh, research, and we think um, we can hit the TED demographic. <laughs> but when I'd finished, you know, I realized that, that one of the options, and because by then by then people had begun to, to think of doing stuff like this, um, one of my options was to was to put all these ideas that I'd had into practice and, and, and be Turatech. I mean, you know, that, that was a possibility for me to, to do that. But, uh, I, well, yeah, I did, you certainly have the credibility. Like the idea of... Making it so easy for people, I thought the whole the whole point of it, it seemed to me that you know a, a large part of the pleasure of of having done it was to was having done it with what was what was around you know was kind of feeding off the environment really and not building it yourself yeah out I mean, of wood and fiberglass. Well, and it kind of forces you to actually fiberglass is the great exception. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it kind of it kind of forces you to be aware of your surroundings if you're going to be living off of them. Well, yes, that's right. And also, you can do you, you can do stuff with you can make your own things. I made a lot of stuff of my own bags and pouches and things like that. I mean, yes, uh, the leather bags that that I got made in Argentina to go over the tank. Uh, I, I think they're a triumph, um, if you'll forgive the pun. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> And they're still on the bike in the museum, and I think, and they still look great. The fact that Herbert can make them out of a out of a lighter material, or Al Jesse can do it all in. I mean, he makes they all they all make great stuff. All these yes. people they make great stuff, but it's not it, the people who are buying it are, are not making it. They're you know they're just they're just getting a kit, a round the world kit, and and there's something a bit odd about that. <laughs> just in case go out and be daring only buy this stuff first then yeah. it's not so daring yeah. Yeah. How, how did you fit back into the world at the end of this trip no, with, with some difficulty <laughs> I mean, how do you come off of you know miles every day always heading in a direction to hey here's your job I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, you know, the, the the interesting thing about that question is that I learned a, tre- a tremendous amount about myself and about the world. And when I got back, I don't know whether it was me that gave the impression or whether people automatically assumed it, but it, 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 it seemed as though I ought to have been full of wisdom, you know, packed with all kinds of wonderful insights into into the nature of life and so on. The odd thing is that all all of that wisdom that I'd acquired really wasn't very useful in in everyday life. You know, it uh, or possibly fact, not that useful actually, to anyone, not you. It annoyed people terribly. <laughs> well, I mean, did you find it hard to talk to people with you know their first world problems and not well, yeah, want to just exactly. strangle them? I mean, the, the thing is that that it, it, 
I couldn't believe how excited people were, got over what were really totally trivial things. You know, they, like, like they, the, this was for the end of the world because somebody had rained on their parade. But I mean, that's total nonsense, you know. Or well, they dropped an egg uh, on the floor or they got into a traffic jam on their way to work or they, you know, all, all these the things that were irritating them and, and, and driving them nuts so pathetically unimportant compared with the pleasures of simply being alive you know, just, and all the things that they needed to have to feel comfortable when I was really I was more comfortable sleeping on the floor than I was in a bed and that really pissed people off a lot they didn't like anybody who, who wasn't really on their wavelength and so it was, it was quite hard to adapt and to get used to the idea that, that most people getting this the jollies of totally stupid things that didn't matter. Anyway, um, it, that, it, it was hard. It took a while. And also my judgment about a lot of things turned out not to be very good um, because uh, because it was my judgment had been forged in a different kind of context, different world. Mm. What made it easier for me was that I had to write the book. And, and during the process of writing the book, I gradually got realigned uh, to, to society. I'm, I'm just waiting for the part where you say, and then I killed a man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there was no violence in me. <laughs> I've been called the least threatening man on the planet. It comes across in your writing. You have such an open and just accepting perspective to everything that's happening around you. You're like, so you're soaking it up like a sponge. It comes across really well in the book. Oh, um, nice. yeah. It's it's pretty amazing that you can I I can't fathom that because I'm a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't stay a jerk for very long. You'd either be dead or you. <laughs> <laughs> so it just beat the or stuffing out of me. <laughs> and what, I mean, what, you know, and this is the one thing that 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 the travelers recognize in each other, and it's one of the reasons why. It, it's actually quite quite hard to trust people who haven't traveled because because of the lack of that you know that ability to absorb to absorb difficulties to get on top of stuff it's um it's a wonderful attribute hmm. hey we've got a, a, a questioner from one of our listeners um yeah. what happened to the sword oh the sword well um as anyone who's read the book would know uh, by the time I got to Brazil, the guy who had given it to me to take the halfway around the world was there, and so I, I gave him back his sword. Point first. <laughs> he, he, he couldn't have. You see, he couldn't have taken it. He, he was having to escape. Well, we know a bit more about Egypt now than we did then, and so and so people know that in Egypt there are not just. Arabs, there are also, uh, I mean, not just Muslims, there are also Christians, and the Christians are called Copts, and they are persecuted, and it was really hard under those dictatorships to leave the country, and leaving the country meant that you had to leave almost everything else, everything behind to get out, and so my friend Amin knew that he would never be able to carry that sword with him when he left. Uh, Egypt, and he finally did make it out of Egypt to Brazil, and uh, so it, it was uh, wonderful for him that I was able to turn up with a sword. He had it, but his brother was also in Brazil, and when I went there the second time, he told me that he'd had to give it to his brother, because his, his brother, it was his brother's turn to have the sword. But the sword is, um, is, is in the family in Brazil. Nice. I can almost answer almost any question that anybody wants to ask about life. What's your favorite piece of writing equipment? Equipment? A pencil <laughs> and a, a, well, no, a, a, a good ballpoint pen and a, and a little notebook. I, I made the terrible, oh. well, it wasn't a mistake, it was deliberate. I went around the world another time, as you know, and I took um, all sorts of electronic stuff with me. And I did a website, and I'm very pleased with the website. I think it was a pretty interesting thing to do. But as a way of traveling, it's disastrous. You know, you don't, you really don't want all that. I, you know, I, I rather think that a lot of people going, going around the world are, are thinking of themselves as creating some kind of a, a movie that nobody will see until they get home. That, that reminds me of on the second trip, I was in Nepal, and there was... Um, uh, they, they were they were 
you know, they they burn corpses on funeral piles, and and there there was a, a, a bunch of firewood wrapped around some some corpse on this place where they do it, and and I and I noticed that um, that, that an arm was coming out of this pile of wood, and it was a, the arm of a child, you know, that had obviously had died, and 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 they were about to burn this corpse. And it was a very touching thing to see. It was really quite powerful. And as I was watching it, this, this large charabang, this great, this big uh, tour bus drove up and about 500 Japanese jumped out, all with their cameras, virtually to their, to their eyes as they, as they did it. And they were all snapping away furiously. And then within like 60 seconds, they were back in the bus and off again. <laughs> and, and, and it was obvious to me that, that none of them could possibly have seen what I'd seen. But that when they got back to Tokyo or wherever, um, they, they developed their films, and then they'd see this picture, and the picture would show them what they hadn't seen when they were there. And, and, uh, you know, that's, Do you remember that's, that? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real sort of um, exaggerated version of, of the way I feel a lot of people travel, that they're taking lots of pictures, but not really um, being part of what they're doing. They're uh, taking but, trophies uh, and not really they're living sort of, it. Um, they're, they're, they're making a production, as it were, for themselves, you know. I think that's one of the big problems with, with photography, is that you can't um, have photographs of yourself doing things that you want to talk about. I mean, everything that was interesting about the trips that I've done, I got no pictures because, I mean... How you're can too busy you do doing it. <laughs> while, you're being, while you're being attacked or, or, or raped or, or, um, or raping. <laughs> Well, that's why you get a camera crew to follow you around, like Charlie and you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I don't know what you're going to make of all this. They come interview you and, and get your blessing, and that's adventure. <laughs> adventure. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us tonight, Ted. This is, uh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I don't I don't know about you, Todd, but it's just crazy listening to him talk. And he's like, well, yes, there I was, you know, going past Alexandria or, you know, Russia. <laughs> Just across the ocean to Los Angeles. Hey. And I'm like, well, what, what'd we do? We we went we went around the block. We went we went totally like elsewhere in the state. <laughs> we went oh, three hours away. <laughs> and then I turned around and came back. The golden handcuffs are only so long because my bike broke down and I didn't keep going. <laughs> I'm a giant wimp. Don't worry, your time will come. All in good time. Th thank you very much for talking with us. Thanks this, so much, Ted. This is great. No, um, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much, indeed. This is why I freaking love Ted Simon. This he's is why his so book is so good. His it's... perspective on the world. I mean, you have to have done what he's done to have that kind of wide open... I just can't even really fathom it. But Yeah, but at the same time, you have to have all that, but it's totally unprepossessing, and, like, you could probably learn quite a bit from watching Ted yeah. Simon. Yeah, yeah. He's like Buddha now. <laughs> I think it might have been like Buddha before. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely probably already there. But, mm -hmm. I mean, you go around the world, if you act like a jerk, someone's going to kill you at some point in the 30,000, 40,000 miles. <laughs> yeah. You know, low-key is your survival tactic. And, you know, he's already, maybe he had the predisposition toward that. But this just had to talk about, you know, finishing in the fire. I One of our chills. listeners asked, what's the, what's the best starter for a, We were supposed to ask him, what's the best starter ADV trip? Apparently, it's to just... Fuck off and go get a ruin, <laughs> you know. You know, I, I, you know, I think he would, he would have said to just, to just go. Don't even worry about the trip. You know, don't, don't pre, get, uh, don't get hung up in the up. trip. Don't get wound up in the trip. Just go and immerse yourself where you are. Yet another, just go. Yeah, but you know, not just go. Just go with purpose. I mean, he's the the motorcycle was incidental to what he was going for. Yeah. He was. He wanted to be out there, immersed. Yeah, he wanted to be out there and do it and be in it. 
He didn't want to be the Japanese tourists just taking pictures. He wanted to be the guys who, you know. <laughs> I watched you despair for your forebears. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where he was going with that because. And then a bus pulls up and Japanese tourists get off. Oh, no. The <laughs> only thing he left off of that was the tour lady holding the umbrella in the air to direct the crowd. <laughs> You hold the umbrella straight up, and they follow it like lemmings. We're going to have to try that sometime. <laughs> Go on a trip and be on a trip. Yeah, be there. Don't be in your don't be in your big aluminum saddlebag. Don't be taking pictures. Don't be – and so many of the people we know, we talk to, we've seen on forums, they're documenting themselves. Yeah, I, it, it gives a whole new weird perspective I mean, on that. We, I'm we've not, done that. Yeah, we've done that incessantly. I am never, ever going to be able to look at any of those kind of things the same way again. There's, there are guys you, you see. broken it. Yeah, these, you do see guys who write, write reports, and they, they get it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on Ted's wavelength. Yeah, there's the one, the one guy who rides around Russia and stuff, and he will only ride in a three-quarter helmet so that people can see him smiling and so that he can eat bugs, connect with them that way yeah. and, like, okay, take pictures yeah. of them. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's people get it, but there's so many other people that – don't look i'm awesome i am awesome you know what todd what's that 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 motorcycle trailer doesn't seem so cool anymore (laughs) no (laughs) no i mean it's probably a nice trailer and everything but uh yeah it's uh hmm let's go let's let's hear from our listeners i'm yeah we better hear from the listeners i'm I'm feeling i'm feeling very trite and we're a couple of douchebags. We're total douchebags. Uh, fortunately, we got a kind of interesting question from uh, oh, Byron okay. on the P. Byron on the Facebook page. Ah, cool. Self-proclaimed dirtbag. He wrote that. I did. Yes, I'm totally self-proclaimed. We're not at all a dirtbag. Todd probably. <laughs> Todd probably hasn't. But have any of you tried to nick wax products in your cycle clothes? Mine could use a bit of cleaning and refreshing. But I'm leery of throwing a thousand bucks worth of textiles into a laundromat washing machine with a ten dollar detergent and waterproofer. So, yeah, weirdly enough, uh, me, the dirtbag, has actually used a lot of these. In fact, the Nick Wax products are pretty much the only reason you can get within about 50 yards of my ski jacket. Mm-hmm. Nick Wax stuff is pretty good. I would say I've used – let me think. What have I used? I've used the uh, – the tech wash is great. The wash and stuff? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. this is this is the tech wash, not the oh, wash okay. and stuff. So okay. you've got the tech wash that gets all, like, the gunk out of your, your thick textiles. Okay. Um, it works really well. I'm quite pleased with it. There is also the wash-in uh, DWR compounds that for water, air quotes, proofing. Mm-hmm. Uh, those work well depending on the product, frankly. Um, I've had mixed success with those. I used the spray-on one on my uh, Tour Master jacket. It didn't work that hot. Right. Um, I'm right. told that the way you apply them is very important, so RTFM uh, on all the Nick Wax products. Okay. Uh, the one that I do love and that I always have around, and I have actually a, a packet of it in one of the pockets of my riding suit, is their, uh, they have this leather treatment wax stuff that makes the leather waterproof and also just treats it and makes it nice and soft and supple. It smells unholy. Like snow seal? Uh, I don't know, but it's this it's this nasty kind of brownish, goopy wax stuff, and it smells just chemical sludged awfulness. Do you have to melt it on? No, no. You oh, you okay. rub it. You rub it on your. You you like dribble some of this glop into your hands, and they do like the Mister Burns hand rub with them. Okay. Um, and it, you know just loosens up and waterproofs yeah. the gloves. And then you lock yourself in the closet for about five ten minutes. Yep. Something like that. But yeah, it, it is it is incredibly stinky. So you put it on and you like put the gloves somewhere you don't need to go for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's fucking bad. <laughs> But okay. it does work really well. I use it on my ski gloves, and I've uh, used it on my helds, too. Okay. It's a pretty good success. It will make the color a little funky, but if you're looking for, like, a... Frankly, my gloves are so disgusting and patinaed anyway, it doesn't matter. Like, if it's nice new gloves, you probably don't want to put this on it right away because they'll make it all blotchy. Right. If they're old shitty gloves and you just want them to be good again, you can put it on them, and they'll still be blotchy, but they'll be blotchy and soft. But it'll make it look like adventure. Yeah, I guess, yeah, if you're looking for the, the faux adventure thing. So that washing, the Nick Wax talk, washing stuff works pretty well? Wa- washing stuff works pretty well. It's going to, the big Does it thing, leave a residue behind? Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? Like a visible, like... No, it won't be visible. It'll be like most DWRs where after a while when the UV light starts to break it down, you'll start to get that little kind of flaky thing. You've okay. seen that on jackets yeah, before. That's the yeah. DWR breaking down from the UV light. Okay. And that's really what that does is the Nick Wax stuff is putting a new DWR. That means durable water repellent onto your uh, clothing. So it's not as waterproof as a membrane. Uh, membranes being like the, the polyurethane membrane or uh, Teflon like Gore-Tex. Yeah. So it's not as waterproof, but a DWR breathes great because, you know, it's basically just goop. Right. They work pretty well. 
for what they are. Um, okay. They do what it says on the tin. I would say make sure you match the thing you're applying it to with the compound and follow the damn instructions. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's an important one. Follow the damn instructions. I'm thinking at the beginning of next season, I'll try some of the wash-in stuff. I've only used the spray stuff so far, mm-hmm. which has worked okay. Yeah, I, I found I found the spray stuff pretty mixed. Um, yeah. And, and it just, it's just you hard have, to get it consistent. You have to reapply it pretty frequently. Yeah, and, and you probably will with the wash-in stuff too, quite frankly. Oh, it won't last like a season, you Well, said? the nature the – na- it might last a season. Okay. But the nature of a DWR is it's a fairly disposable layer. Okay. I mean there the- is a reason your old jacket that has the little dandruff on it gets wet quickly and it's because the DWR is gone. Okay. Yeah, with the spray and stuff, I'm thinking like every couple months I, I hit it with another can. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I might just be paranoid that way. Yeah, and I guess – I don't know. I'm, I'm – I like it for some stuff. Frankly, for a lot of stuff, I think it's – if the fabric isn't made to be waterproof, putting that on it will buy you minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it because as soon as the DWR gets overcome, it saturates and you're done. It's end of story. And you're just soggy. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just soggy. And that, that's, that's where I'm at with my Olympia suit. It's uh, The DWR is pretty well shot to shit. So it just saturates and I'm hosed. Mm-hmm. So are you are you going to treat it again, or are you going to buy a suit, pink suit from Gazi? I'll probably buy the pink suit from Gazi. <laughs> treat that instead. Or are you just going to buy you know a pair of rough jeans and a mm-hmm. beaten up jacket from beaten up bell staff from the dirt yep. from DI and yeah. <laughs> DI surplus? That's where it's at, man. Because <laughs> otherwise we're just douches. <laughs> I think we might be douches anyway. <laughs> so what have you learned this week, Chuck? I'm a douche. <laughs> I also am kind of a douche, but not as much as Chuck. Uh, what? That's all we got time for. Till next time, I'm Todd. Nobody likes you. Everyone likes Todd. Nobody likes you. Everyone likes Todd. No, that guy that wrote us the hate mail doesn't like you. Well, that's true. Yeah. I'm yeah. Chuck. It's <laughs> right safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.